0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 20. That's right, Exodus 20, you think, I thought we finished the Ten Commandments. We spent 11 weeks on those. You know, we did the introduction, and and then we did that, and the ushers are coming forward. If you don't have a Bible, please take a Bible. Um, you can borrow it or you can take it home. We just had another um, shipment of them arrive this week. We love to get the Word of God into the hands of people, and even on Sunday mornings for you to be following along, underlining, and um, you know. And sometimes I, I get to see that beautiful glow in some of your faces during the message. And well, that's the glow from your tablet or your phone or something like that, you know. And and so uh, as you are hopefully not on Facebook or or on Twitter or anything, but you actually have your Bible app open. You know, but um, Exodus 20, we're not quite done the Ten Commandments yet. We're going to do a little recap, and then we're going to talk about the Eleventh Commandment. All right? You say, I, I thought there was Ten Commandments. There's actually 11, and we're going to get into that, and I hope maybe you'll, you, you'll stay with me till we get to that a little later on. But there are actually 11 commandments, and, and, and that Eleventh just ties it all together. And so uh, we are going to be looking at this here today. But I'd love for you just even out loud, just finish the statement. You hear this statement around in society and and maybe it's even a a bit of the the pattern in your life. Rules are meant to be... Yeah, you know it full well, because many of you are like that, aren't you? I mean, there's just something in us, you know, even though we may not admit it, but there's that little renegade spirit in all of us. And I think even in Western Canada, it's even a little stronger. We're a little bit more on the, you know, the Wild West, you know, I'll do what I want when I want to do it, and you're not going to tell me what to do. And we see that all throughout society, and we see that even within our families, we even see that in, in, in young children, you know, and. And, and, you know, even these cute little babies that they grow up and, 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 and we want them to sleep and, and they have another, don't tell me what to do kind of thing, you know. And, and I mean, we're all like that. You see the sign wet paint and what do you want to do? Well, how wet is it? Is it an old sign or is it, you know, is it, you know, and, and how many of you have ever seen the sign and you've actually gone to test to see how wet it is? True confession, you are in church. Okay, good. A few of you are being honest. Good for you. Remember, we we discussed a few weeks ago the commandment, do not lie. So, you know, just just keep that in mind. How about when, you know, somebody posts a sign, do not walk on the grass. You know, and again, I mean, there's something within me. It's like, oh, Yeah. You know, and I will step around and you're just like, there, I'll, I'll walk on this grass. Who You know, and, and it's just like, why don't you want me to walk on it? It's like almost an invitation, I feel, for me to walk on the grass. Or, or I mean, one of the, the things that I really struggle with, and maybe it's a good reason I don't do this often, is go-karting. How many of you have gone go-karting? I mean, what a lot of fun, right? And one of the things they tell you to do, no bumping. You know, and so even now they try to spread you out strategically. Well, as if that's going to work. I'm just going to stop and wait for you to catch up. And when they're not looking, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to run you right off the road. You know, and and I mean, tires flying and all kinds, I mean... that was when I was younger, of course. I, I wouldn't dream of being like that anymore. You know, you turn it into a demolition derby, even though they're saying no bumping or, or speed limits. Well, they're just suggestions, aren't they? I mean, we're told this, but that's just the suggestion. I mean, every, I mean, there's something in us that wants to push it to the limits. And you know what? I think it's actually a good thing when we live life passionately and we want to give it our all. You know, and, and yet we're also, there's something in us that we don't like to be told what to do. Bottom line, we don't like people telling us do this, don't do that. Kids don't like it when their parents tell them to clean up the room, to take out the garbage, to even brush their teeth or eat their veggies. You know, they don't like hearing that and it just continues to go on. We oftentimes don't like to receive much instruction from our spouse, right? You know, it's just like, you know, when when our spouse is telling us something we ought to do or something we ought not to do, it kind of rubs us. Oh yeah, the inner lawyer comes out and the prosecuting attorney comes after them, you know, and it's just like, oh yeah, well, this is what you do. You know, I mean, maybe maybe you're not like that and don't struggle in that way but bottom line we have a hard time having people tell us what to do now there's some of you who you like rules you like policies and procedures and 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 you're weird you know, like and you're still loved, but I find that weird. Like, I mean, y- you love to kind of know with a clarity, and and here's what you do, and here's what you don't do, here's what's expected, here's what's not expected. But even you, e- who like that, and and maybe it's I partially envy you that you're able to live that way. You know, uh, but but there is a part where even. There are times that you will find yourself getting pushed to the limits and, and getting a little adventurous and, and, and pushing yourself in some of those ways as well. Well, we've been coming through, we've been working through the Ten Commandments. And, and when it comes to God's laws, just, just so you know, just across the board, you, you have all, I have, we have all broken the Ten Commandments. Um, some of some of us perhaps not all 10 but we we have a list and and, and just to know this isn't like you know baseball you know if someone you know if, if a baseball batter is batting 3 3 you know what 300 400 they're really good you know and, and, and we're not trying to say well you know what I'm keeping 8 out of the 10 or 4 out of the the 10 whatever it is it, it's not like that we've all broken the we've all broken god's law We're all lawbreakers, and the church has historically has upheld these Ten Commandments as important. The church, throughout the centuries has seen the Ten Commandments as a foundation, not only for their lives as far as believers in Christ, but even society. We see this, and yet as we have moved away in the last number of decades from the Ten Commandments being front and center in our lives, in society, even in the church, we see this moral decline that we see in our world today. I mean, how many of us? I mean, things like the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and even the Lord's Prayer have often been foundational when it comes to even teaching within the church. And yet, I wonder, if you didn't see this list in front of you, how many of you would actually be able to give all Ten Commandments? Would you be able to to give the Ten Commandments in order, even? And these are important kind of things. It's not just about memorizing it, but it's about having these Front and center in our lives. It's little wonder that we're, we see the way that our world is going. Just think about what society would look like if we all lived by the Ten Commandments. Just think about it. We wouldn't need to lock our vehicle when we came into church today. We wouldn't have to worry about locking our house or our bikes or anything like that. Business would be conducted in a fair and above board and equitable kind of way. You, know, you would know you're not getting ripped off by someone, You know, uh, whether it's an auto mechanic or you get some work done on your house or, or, or whatever it might be and you're wondering, okay, now, now is this really happening? I mean, if, if we all live by the Ten Commandments, my wife would be without work. Because she's an auditor with the federal government and what she's doing is looking for those who are trying to sidestep the government. They're stealing, they're taking what they, um, and and not giving to to Mr. Trudeau what what he wants. And and, you know, I mean, looking to sidestep the system a little bit. We wouldn't need police officers, we wouldn't need prisons. There'd be no teenage rebellion because they'd be honoring their parents. There'd be no abortions or suicides or murders or stabbings. We would all worship the one true God. We wouldn't have all of these different religions and faith systems out there. We're talking, it'd be almost heaven. But we're not there because we're all lawbreakers. We've all broken the law. And so this morning is a declaration Of God's holy inspired word, I want to read the Ten Commandments for you. Yes, we have them listed here. That's the short version. But I want to read these 17 verses in honor of God's infallible, inerrant, inspired word here that he has given to us. These were the words that he spoke to his children in an audible voice at Mount Sinai to them centuries ago. And so in Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying... On it you shall not work, do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land." That the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his male servant. Or his female servant. Or, or his ox. Or his donkey. Or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. See we see the value of. First of all, here today, I want to look at a number of things. And the first one is the value of the Ten Commandments. I encourage you to be writing these down as, as well as these Scripture references and to be looking at, at these references even throughout this week. Take a look at them this afternoon and study them and, and see how they apply and how God's Spirit will speak to you through His Word as you even look at these verses here this next week. So we're going to take a look at at these commandments and, and or as we've been looking at them, and even as i 've read them here today, they may come across a little demanding they may come across a little condemning, a little little weighty after all you know god God etched them in stone on you know on these big colds cold like stone, So, I mean, they, they can seem kind of cold and, and, and kind of, you know, just very authoritative given and, and, and just not very life-giving. And yet, every word that we have in the word of God has been given to us and these commandments have been given to us, not because God is some killjoy and doesn't want us to have any fun, but because he's wanting us to enjoy life and to enjoy life to the fullest, he says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." on the other hand, he, he is saying to us, "You shall have great sex." That is God's plan that he has that as a beautiful, beautiful picture for his children. When he says, "You shall not steal," it, it means on the other side that you're going to be generous and you're going to receive the generosity, not the theft from other people, but generosity from others, and in that you will enjoy the generosity of God. When he says, "You shall have no other gods," he's saying Instead, you shall have me. You get me. Don't have any, don't settle for anything else. You shall have me. God is in the business of taking anything from us, or he's not in the business of taking things from us, but rather leading us into life, into the fullness of life. We just think that maybe it's just all these rules and he just doesn't want to have us to have any fun. But instead, he's wanting to meet, lead us into real life. The Ten Commandments are that. They are an invitation to life. Look at what David says in Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, the commandments of God, including the Ten Commandments, are all all about God being for us. They're about God leading us into real life. It is about God steering us away from slavery, from going into a life of slavery, into a life of freedom. The world offers to us, just as it would offer for the Egyptians... Or, or for the Israelites, when they saw the Egyptians early on, but then the Canaanites, and, and as they go into the promised land, they would see everything that, that was offered, and they seemed to think they were being left out, or, or, or they weren't getting all of life that they had, and God was leading them into the fullness of life. And he says, keep these commandments, and you will have life. You will live. You see, somehow the world offers us these promises, and And yet they don't satisfy, they don't fulfill. And somehow we keep thinking that satisfaction, fulfillment is just going to come. It's going to come right around the corner. It's going to happen after I'm done high school. It's going to happen when I'm done college. It's going to happen when I have a career. It's going to happen when I get married, when I have kids. And we just keep going on and on till I have retirement. And, and we keep thinking that satisfaction, fulfillment will come, but the things of this world won't satisfy, they won't fulfill, and David is saying, it's in the presence of God, that is where there is the fullness of life. Yet, if we can be totally honest with one another, to be obedient to the word of God at times will feel like an all-out assault to our dreams and our desires To be obedient to the word of God at times will cost you. It will cost you greatly. And especially in Canada, in western Canada, especially here in the Okanagan, we see the pleasures that are offered by this world kind of on steroids, literally and figuratively. And you just think, oh, if I'm just like that, if I just have this, and daily we are exposed to this through advertising, through media, you drive around, you you, you see what's going on in our society, billboards, ads, you see it in people, you see it in cars and houses and all of these things. And it's so easy. Now, how many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? Classic, guess now, finding Dory going to be showing here a little later on so maybe you can buy a ticket and stay if you haven't seen it but in at least finding nemo I don't know if i if it's happening if it happens in finding dory or not there's those seagulls in the movie right and what do the seagulls do what do they say mine 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 and and it's so true because you watch a seagull you know out on the beach you see it you know in a parking lot and you just see them kind of going after it and it does sound like they are actually doing that well we are very much like those seagulls when it comes to Our entitlement and what we think, it's mine, 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 that we deserve all of these different things. The thing that we deserve, God's word tells us, is hell. We deserve to die. We deserve God's wrath. And because of God's goodness to us, he offers us his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. He offers us real life. But so oftentimes we are like that, mine, 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 it's what I deserve, it's what I want, and, and, and yet we're so miserable, it doesn't work. We even choose churches based on this kind of mindset about what is mine and what, how this is going to, you know, does this church have the amenities, you know, that I'm looking for, you know, and, and we, we we just got it so upside down. And the more that we make our lives about me, about myself, about I, the more miserable we'll become. It won't lead to joy. It won't. Because at the end of the day, in reality, we're all worshiping something. We are. We're worshiping something or someone. We're adoring someone or something. There is a throne in every one of our hearts here today. And the question is, who is sitting on that throne? Is it you? There's that old hymn but maybe you just slightly change the words and maybe a lot of you wouldn't even know this. King of my life, I crown me now thine will the glory be. No, I mean, I I just reversed it. I made it all about me, but that's oftentimes me, I, what I want, what I need, what I like, what I want to do, I'm on the throne of my life. Or maybe it's money, or maybe it's power, maybe it's success, maybe it's notoriety, maybe it's having a successful uh, business or career or whatever it might be. Even for a pastor, on the throne of the life of a pastor can be the church. And the success of a church, the growth of a church, and it becomes all about that. That is the wrong thing. Even though it's a good thing, it's the wrong thing to have on the throne of your life. And so oftentimes, we've got the wrong person. We've got the wrong thing on the throne. It might be a person we're trying to please other than God. We're trying to get in good with someone. Showing favoritism. You see, we're all designed, we're all worshiping. We are all worshiping something all the time. And yet the Ten Commandments reveal to us our need to worship God. You shall have no other gods before me. You get that right? Life is going to go a lot better and a lot different. You see, one of the reasons why we gather together on Sundays is to worship Jesus together. Thankful for Harvest Oakville in sending us this worship set and preparing that for us because even as we worship God, as we lift high the name of Jesus in worship, and as we do this, and we've gathered in here, and some of you have had just just amazing weeks. It's been a good week, and some of you have had just a week, and some of you have just had a terrible week. It's gone awful. You've walked in here, and you're discouraged, or you're angry, or you're upset, or you're hurting, or you're fearful. Others of you are just living the dream. Maybe you're visiting, you're on holidays, or or maybe, you know what, you're, you're getting ready for holidays, and and, you know, like, life is good, the job is good, money's good, health is good, and so... You're coming in here, and yet whether we're coming from a good point or a bad point, we gather together and we lift high the name of Jesus in worship, and we see those around us who have had good weeks and terrible weeks, and we're all giving him praise and worship, and we are adoring him as the one, the one who that we ultimately give praise for if it's going well, and we ask him to keep us humble before him so we don't become all proud and arrogant when everything gets going well. And he's the one we are turning to when life is falling apart. And there's such a beauty that happens when the praises arise in that way of God's people. We worship Jesus because he deserves our worship. It's not like he's, you know, he needs his ego to be stroked. That's not why we're doing it. It's not like he had a bad week up in heaven you know, it just things didn't go the way that he had planned. And so he's like, come on, just sing to me. Sing to me now. Come on, folks, sing to me. You know, get me feel. It's not like that. No, we need to be doing this. We need to be worshiping Jesus and, and because we have a tendency to become proud and, and arrogant and think we don't need him. And, and everything that we worship, anything that's on the throne, on that throne of our heart, if it's not Jesus, it will betray you. It will. It will betray you. Get it through your heads. Quit. I mean, we keep trying in all these different things, thinking it's coming. It's going to be different for me. I'm going to be the exception. If it's not Jesus, it will betray you. People will let you down. People will betray you. Even good people, maybe family, maybe friends. It will happen. It happened to Jesus. It could happen to you. But he will never betray you. He will never leave you. Or forsake you if you are in a relationship with him. So amazing that he would do that. Friendship, money, your body. The chest will sink into the drawers. It will all happen. Some of you will get that later on. It will all fail you. It will all fall apart one day. Jesus never will. Then you read Psalm 119. Encourage you, it's a nice long psalm. You could spend like a week in there. Encourage you to read Psalm 119. It's David, more than likely, who is the one writing this. And it portrays the testimony of a man. Old, wrinkled, worn out, tired. A man who suffered some serious difficulties, sometimes at the hand of enemies and sometimes at his own doing who faced battles and various taunts and slander and schemes. And yet we see this psalm is like him giving instruction to his young son. And he's giving instruction to us today about the trustworthiness, about the Word of God. Follow it and live. Don't follow it. Disaster. And he is giving these instructions through this amazing psalm that we have. And we see through this psalm, it speaks about the power and the sufficiency, the trustworthiness of God and his word and his commands. Live for him. You will live. Live for yourself. You will decay and decline in all areas of life. And in Psalm 119, verse 103, the whole psalm is amazing, but here is a great verse. This is, this, this is how David describes the word of God. He says, how sweeter your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I have some honey here today from, from uh, Tim and Andrea Anderson. They've uh, got a good supply. It's, it seems like a good crop of honey, some homegrown Okanagan honey. Um, that I said, hey, bring some jars here today. I, I, I need at least one, and I'm sure some others may, may, may want some more of this. And, and, and some of you, I'm like, who, who would love to, to have a spoonful of honey? I'm not even going to give you any medicine. Who wants it? Come on. Come on. You can suck on it during the service. Come on. Okay. Come on. Who, who, wants, who wants honey? Come on. Enjoy some honey. Just don't spill it, it will get all sticky. There you go. Who else? Come on. A couple more over here. I can't walk all that way. Why don't you put your hand up earlier for crying out loud? Like, John, have some honey. You know, and and then I'm going to give the plate. Who wants to lick the plate? That's going to be the best part, you know. So, all right. Keith, I see that hand. Too bad that we don't get that same result when we're, you know, I'll, I'll be quiet. Um, okay, you know, uh, enjoy that honey. And, and this honey, it is so sweet. I got some, some spilt on my hands and and, and, I just, and and then all over the jar and I just want to lick the jar. It's like, why waste it? This is delicious. This is amazing. And David is saying, the word of God is sweeter than, than even honey. And, and, and that, for, in those days, that was about the sweetest of anything you could get. Probably still the same today. And, and he's saying, the word of God, it's so sweet, it is amazing, it, it is so beautiful, it, is, it, it tastes so good. That is the word of God in our lives. And, and, and for David, he saw at the end, after his mess-ups and failures and everything that had happened, that his, his word was life. I've messed up, I've made mistakes. And yet the word of God, when you follow it, you obey it, it's life. You see, the commandments of God and His Word are an invitation to life, to real life. But in order for that to happen, in order for us to experience life in that way, you have to open the Bible. You've got to get to know the Word of God, not just carry it around or bring it to church on Sunday or or, or just, you know what, kind of go back to a few things you might have learned in Sunday school. Oh, may we be people who open the word. Remember those three D's? I I, I repeat them from time to time. Then when it comes to these kind of things, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to these spiritual disciplines, it starts with discipline. Get disciplined in the word of God. And as you do that and as you pray, and just don't treat it like a textbook or just as your little good luck charm at the beginning of the day, but pray and say, oh, God, speak to me today through your word. May your spirit speak to me. May it come alive. May there be nuggets that that I will be able to take and be able to, to think upon during the day and even apply into my life. And it starts with discipline. And as we discipline ourselves in the word of God, it starts to become a desire in our lives that we see that I need the word of God daily in my life, that, that it's like starving yourself. For some of you, for, for some of us, it's like going without coffee. You go, out, go a few hours in the morning without coffee and you might start, you know what, shaking. If it is, that's a problem. It's saying you're dependent on coffee. Oh, if we don't, it, it, wouldn't it be amazing if it was the same thing if It was for the word of God that, hey, I wasn't in the word of God today. I need to be in the word that we hunger. It becomes a desire and then that's when it moves into delight. Discipline, desire delight. And oh, would we be people who would delight ourselves in the law of God, in the commands of God, and see that God is for us in the word of God. He is not against us. And we can build our lives on the word of God. Next, let's look at Jesus and the commandments. What, what did Jesus have to say about all of these, these commandments? I mean, were they just Old Testament? Was that Old Testament time? And now we have Jesus, where is it all at with Jesus? We might be tempted to think that they were just for that that era and no longer applies, but Jesus in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus doesn't abolish the law, he fulfills the law. But the law is no longer the center point. Jesus is now the center point. Because he fulfilled the law perfectly. He lived it. The law is no longer at the center, but Jesus has fulfilled the law in its entirety. And Jesus did not detract or devalue or deny the Mosaic law. Instead, he affirmed it. Now we see there were ceremonial laws that had to do with worship that changed because of Jesus. Now we worship him. There were certain civic laws that were, that were used to kind of control the society and that we have certain civic laws now, including, I understand the criminal code book of Canada keeps getting thicker and thicker. It's a nice thick book. We have certain civic laws, but we also have God's moral law and in here we see God's moral law and God's moral law has not changed. Sin is still sin. He hasn't softened. In fact, we see how Jesus is more concerned just not about the externals because the Pharisees were living it. They were like, oh yeah, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Not a problem. They were doing it externally, but not inside. Inside, they were evil. They were nasty. They were bitter. They were angry. They were full of pride. And Jesus was more concerned about the, ex- about the internal than the external. An internal transformation of the heart. We're not under the law anymore, but we're not without the law. That makes sense? We're not under the law. We're not under the weight of the law, but we're not also without the law. It is still that, that, that important understanding of who God is and what his standard is for our lives. In fact, Jesus, in his, his movement here, in helping us to understand this transformation, he wants to bring in Matthew 5, 21. He says, you've heard it said, thou shall not kill. That's the external part. But he says, if you have anger in your heart, then you've already killed them. You've already committed murder. When it comes to adultery, he says in in verse 27, he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within her heart. Adultery is the external action that if you get caught, leads you into trouble. But now he's also saying, hey, there's the internal action that you may not get caught. Eventually it will lead to something external, more than likely. But he's like, I want to see you transform from the inside out. Just don't want to see you looking good on the outside, all plastic and shiny. I want you to be real people being transformed inside out. That is what the gospel is about. That is what Jesus came to do. We are transformed from the inside out, not just because that we're keeping the law, but because we are trusting Jesus who kept the law perfectly. So what's the bottom line? If we were to summarize it, what's the bottom line of the Ten Commandments? Jesus was asked this question in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, I encourage you to turn there because he is, is asked this question by one of the scribes, and, and, and basically, you know what, he, he's one of these guys, I just want clarity, basically, he's coming to Jesus and, and say, okay, so so. Jesus, clear the board. What's the most important? What is the most important commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And what Jesus does is he takes and he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and from Leviticus 19. He he combines them and we see what we get here in verse 29 of Mark chapter 12. He says, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So what's the most important? The first one, he says, is to love God. Above all things, love God. You shall love the Lord your God. That covers the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments. Because the first four are about all how we relate to God and how we we love God. But it's not a love for God like, oh, I love cherries. Oh, I really love cherries. In fact, I'm going to go home. My father-in-law yesterday bought like 70 pounds of cherries You know, to take back to to Saskatchewan, probably to sell, to pay for his gas or something like that. I don't know. He's got all these cherries, and and, and I love cherries. I want to get a picture of these before they go, and I'm going to take a few handfuls before they go. But then we can just go, and I love cherries, or maybe you love watermelon, or you love a great, big, thick, juicy steak, (laughs) a little red in the center, Mm, you know, I know... Oh, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, these are things we love so much. I love sports. Oh, I'm just a sports addict. I just just can't get enough of sports center. And I even love the CFL. That really shows that you're a real sports guy when you love that, you know. And this is a totally different love that we are to have for God. Notice he says, with all of your heart. That's the center. That's That's... that's the center where our attitudes and our thoughts flow from. He's at the center. It says our soul, and that's a reference to our emotions. We are to love him with our minds. That is our thought process and how we think. We're we're loving him in that way. We love him with all of our strength. That means with everything we have. And notice in front of all of those four things that we are to love God with, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, it's all, 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 all. Not just half, but all. We are to love him with intensity, with passion, with exclusiveness. We are to love him. We are to be people who are intoxicated with the love of God. And how often is that true in our lives? We get so distracted and we become intoxicated with so many other things that we try to find our, our hopes and our pleasures on. And he says, love me. Love me with intensity. And that's why we need one another. That's why we gather together like this to be reminded of these truths, that we are to love him and not love all of the items that he has created and has allowed man to be able to create here in this world. So oftentimes we love the creation and not the creator. We are to love him first with all we have. And that's hard. That's why we keep coming back to the cross. That's why we keep talking about the gospel because there we see his love demonstrated for us. When we love God, we're not going to worship other gods. When we love God, we're not going to take his name in vain. When we love God, we're, we're, we're going to make worship of God and gathering with his people a priority in our lives. And then look at this. He says this. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. He says, love God with all of your strength. He gives those four things, and then he says, then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love your neighbor. We are to love others. In Luke 10, we see him then being asked by another smart guy, another guy who's coming to him and saying, okay, so who is my neighbor? You know, like if you've got a good neighbor, if you've got a few good neighbors, it's really easy to love them, isn't it? You know, I mean, we've got some great neighbors. And and, and there's one set of neighbors that we, they have a key to our house. They have a key to our place. They already know me and understand me. They went away to Europe for about a month. And they were giving us the the final instructions before they left. And and then just as they were walking away, I I, I turned to her and I said, "Um, and, and what day are you leaving again? And, and I kind of already knew, but I just wanted to ask her and just to confirm. I said, oh, yeah, I said, because I booked your place on Airbnb a little bit while you're gone. You know, just so you know. And, and without missing a beat, like she just said, oh, that's okay. The house will be clean and the, beads will, uh, the, the sheets have all been changed. So, so, so just make sure they're clean by the end. She totally ruined my fun. She just, I mean, she understands how I love to mess with people and their minds a little bit. And, and we love having great neighbors like that. And it's easy to go the second mile for great neighbors. But then Jesus is asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? Is it my buddy across the street that I really like? You know, like, any good, no. Jesus gives the story of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I encourage you to read that this week from Luke chapter 10. And he gives this parable, this story to describe how we are to love others. And, and you probably know the story. You know, there was a man who was was robbed and beaten and left basically naked on the side of the road, half dead, the Bible says, on the side of the road, and a guy comes along, and he's a Levite. He he's on church setup that morning at seven o'clock, and so he's on his way to set up, and he's like, "Hey, I'm busy. I'm I'm doing church setup. I I I can't get busy with this. I'm on my way to set up." And then 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 the pastor comes by, and oh, I I have got to preach. I, I I've got to pray. I've got to check the flock, see how they're doing, you know. And 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 I don't have time for them. And then this disgusting man, a Samaritan who the Jews hated. I mean, there's you know what like. Scum, pond scum, and you see that on some ponds these days, you know, growing. And then you have Samaritans under that. I mean, that's how the Jewish people saw the Samaritans. They just, they were below pond scum. They were just garbage. And we see this good Samaritan, we see this guy taking. This man, who more than likely would have been a Jew, and he went and he ministered to him. He went and, 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 and helped him and paid for his expenses and made sure that, that he was well on the way to recovery. And Jesus says, this is how you love others. This is the kind of love that you are to demonstrate to others. That is how a neighbor loves a neighbor. Not only when it's nice and easy and clean cut, and it makes us feel good, you know, kind of all warm and fuzzy when you can do something nice for someone. No, it's, it's getting in there. It's, it's loving anyone who has a need that we see. It's loving with generosity, with imagination, with sacrifice. And even this week, I mean, this is why preaching at times stinks. And it's hard because as I look at this and it's all week long I've been looking, okay, what are the missed opportunities where I've been too busy to care for others? Good needs, good things, and yet I've so oftentimes, oh, I'm busy. I've got this to do. I want comfort. I want ease. And yet he says that in order to love God and to love others, we we do whatever it takes. So we are to love God, love others, but there's a third way, and this brings us to the 11th commandment. It's the 11th commandment. And you might say, I didn't know there was 11 commandments. Well, now you know there is. There, there, there are 11 commandments. Turn to John 13. John chapter 13. And, and I didn't make it up. It's not a harvest thing. It's not like, oh, I knew this church was weird. They're adding an extra commandment. Or that pastor, sure, he's kind of out of it. No. This is, this is, Jesus added this. This was something Jesus said before his crucifixion. In John chapter 13, Jesus was meeting with his disciples in the upper room. And in verse 34, he says, a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another he's speaking here to his disciples and he says you you guys you get along you love one another in the same way that I have loved you, you are to love one another. And how did Jesus love his own? How did he love his disciples? How did he love this world? Well, if you look earlier in that chapter, we see that he washed their feet. He served them. No one else was willing to do it. No one had <laughs> forgot, forgot to get the slave. The slave person to wash our stinking feet. That's kind of the ceremony. And no one, no one thought to get... You know, a slave person to wash our feet. So I'm not going to, I'm not washing. Peter has like toe fungus. I'm not going to wash his feet. And you know, like Judas's feet. Well, as if I'm going to wash him. I don't trust that guy. One little, you know, and, and so no one is washing each other's feet. And what does Jesus do? He washes their feet. He doesn't do it angrily and say, fine. You know, if no one else is going to do it, you know, like, give me your feet for crying out loud. And he's not scrubbing them and giving it to him. He's doing it out of love. He's doing it out of just a humble, humble heart. He says, that's how you are to love one another. Think of how he loved his disciples. He, did he wash Judas' feet? Yeah, he did. And he knew full well, being, being the very nature God, he knew full well what Judas was planning and scheming. And he knew that within hours, Judas would be betraying him. And yet, what did he do? He washed his feet. There will be those that will betray you, who will have stinky feet, who will be lazy, who won't do anything. They, they won't lift a finger for others. And what are we called to do? We are called to love. As I have loved you, Jesus said. This is a new standard that he's giving to his children, that there would be this kind of extravagant love. But then there was the ultimate act of love that was, would soon to become a reality his death on the cross that even shouts in a greater way I mean as he shouts in even a greater way from the cross itself father forgive them they don't know what they do we see his love we see even as we are worshiping today the one line in one of the songs that got me my burdens gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sins he wasn't skipping to the cross It wasn't like I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart as he skipped to the cross, but he knew what was going to happen on the other side of that obedience. He knew the freedom, the joy, the life that would happen as he served and as he gave himself in humility for you and for me. That's what made him glad and to know that there is blessing, there is joy that we can never imagine on the other side of this statement as I have loved you. Love like this won't be easy. Love like this will cost. As it costs Jesus. And for some, it can cost everything. I think of people who've given their lives for the cause of the gospel. People today who are willing to give their lives for Jesus. We can barely give them a couple hours a week. We can't even give them time to be in the word. We are to love as he has loved us. It will be a costly love. One of the ways that we, I have seen, it still, for me, just overwhelms me when I think of an example of this kind of love that we saw a number of years ago. When Charlotte and I had been married a number of years, we moved from Saskatoon to a little community just outside of Edmonton to pastor a church. And the first couple of years were, were incredibly difficult. We weren't sure if that struggling church was going to survive. We didn't know if us, as a struggling pastor and wife, were going to survive. It was, it was hard. It was difficult. We learned in that season in our lives the power of prayer, that, that God at times will strip it all away so that, that you have nowhere but to turn but to him and to, to, to go to him in prayer. And there we learned the power of prayer as a church and, and in our own lives. But in that first year, it was found out that one of the elders in the church had been carrying on a homosexual relationship for nearly ten years, and his wife had no clue. They had two children, including one of their uh, one of their children had um, a very severe handicap, very very strong special needs. It was devastating for our church, but ultimately for this wife and for the family to know the way that her husband had been living his life, had been living this double life. She ended up moving with the kids from the Edmonton area to Fort St. John, B.C., just to be closer to some family who were there. And so she, she went there, and we were sad to see them go, but glad to know that there would be some strong family support around them to help them in this time. It was a number of years later we found out that the husband, living in Edmonton, had become quite sick. He had... Uh, Come down, uh, he he had cancer, and he ended up um, not having long to live. He ended up in the hospital and and, uh, going through treatments and different things, and she came a number of times, jumped on a Greyhound bus, made sure the kids were being taken care of, and she came to see him, to spend a week with him. His friends from his new community had basically abandoned him, and he was left alone, and there she was. The last time that she visited him was just before he died, and she came and stayed with him for a week. And I remember coming into the hospital room and seeing her there with him. He never apologized to her. He never said anything that he was sorry for the grief or the sorrow, but instead she would be there day in, day out, sleeping in the hospital on a cot beside him for that week, just tending and caring for him. And she says, I am more concerned about his soul before God than anything else and she would be there he had great pain in his legs and his feet and she would rub them hour after hour and even asking him to forgive her for ways that she may have failed him as a wife that is a love as I have loved you and honestly my heart is oftentimes not there but that is the understanding of the grace and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That is what he has done for us. Because many times we have diverted from the law. We have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we keep coming to him. And we keep repenting. And he keeps accepting and loving us. And, and, and forgiving all our sin. And that is the motivation, folks, of the gospel. Because of what he has done for us, we are willing to do whatever it takes for him. A love like this, though, we can't love as I have loved you. We can't do that on our own. We need his help. That is where the gospel comes in. That is where the the law, the commandments have been given to us to devastate us, to show us that we can't live up to God's standard. But Jesus Christ did. And so we run to him. It reveals our need for him, our dependence on him. And the need for us to come in repentance before him. We cast ourselves at his feet. Oh Jesus, I need you. I need you. As we bring our message to a close here today, just love for you to just bow your heads, close your eyes, just that this would be a time for you just to look at your own heart. A bit of a heart check time. How are you doing, really? How is your love for God today? What is it that you're truly worshiping? What needs to be dethroned in your life today in order for Jesus to reign supreme? Is it your ego? Is it pride? Is it possessions? Is it whatever you, you put, whatever is there, Think about that. Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? Perhaps it's, for me, I I can't say that I do. It's it's growing. I want to be there, but I keep struggling, and that's where you need to pray for me, and that's where I need to be praying for you, that we are here for one another, that we would help one another to strive with all that we are, to love God from the center, love them with our emotions, love them with all of our, the way that we think and with all of our passions. And then I wonder today, who is it that you are being called to love as I have loved you in the words of Jesus? Where does the 11th commandment fit into your life right now to love the brothers and sisters? That that love starts here within the body of Christ. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there a bitterness that you need to let go of? Is there an area or people that you need to serve willingly and freely? You need to wash feet. Nothing in return for you, but you're doing it as I have loved you because of what Christ has done and what he promises in our lives, which is good. Jesus, I pray that even now you would hear our hearts. May there be repentance flowing in this room. May there be areas of confessions and even a determination in a new way. And, 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 it, and, and Lord, that you would just do that work in our lives, that you would be our one desire. And may we just throw our, ourselves at the foot of the cross and just say, I need you, I need you.